Um, we are continuing on in our series, uh, Weak But Strong, in the book of 2 Corinthians. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm a fan of lists. Uh, I love lists. Um, and uh, I think James, a wee while ago, talked about uh, people who had bucket lists. Uh, I have a 30 before I'm 30 list. Um, so I've got about seven months to go before I hit the big 3 and uh, I, I feel quite excited about that. I want to embrace my 30s. And on my list is a whole bunch of different things from like things to, to do, whether that's like go to karaoke for a time. So if anyone wants to join me in karaoke. Yeah, great, Karina, we're on it. Um, uh, other lots of random things, prepare a three-course meal for six with wine at each course, all of the things. Um, but one of the things that uh, I've always wanted, I don't know why it is, I, I think I just, I love jewellery, I'm all about jewellery, I love sentimental pieces of jewellery. Um, I said to my mum and dad, I was like, I really want a signet ring. And uh, uh, when I was looking up signet rings a while ago, like they just mean a lot, my uh, grandparents and um, on both sides have often had signet rings and I just love it, I love the history of it, I love that it's kind of like this sense of belonging to a family. I do love that. And um, when you look at what a signet ring means, it goes back, it, it means kind of three things, and it goes back a long, long time. It's kind of originated kind of to Old Testament times. There's lots of references in scripture of people wearing signet rings. And um, uh, one of the reasons why people would have a signet ring is to point to authenticity. So you have it, and often it bears like your family crest or um, kind of uh, initials or that sort of thing so that you could mark in wax basically when it was before when we, people sometimes couldn't even write and um, they would put their initials in and that would be a mark of authenticity or if you were going into like not a club as in doosh, 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 but like part of a club then you would all have a ring and that would be a mark of authenticity you'd only be in this club if you had the ring um, but also it's um, something that is meant to is built to last it's often made out of precious metal, gold, and um, it's there to be passed on from generation to generation to generation, so much so that uh, archaeologists recently uh, found what they believed to be one of the minor prophets' um, signet rings when they were doing some digs recently, which is amazing. Like thousands of years ago, this one piece of jewellery has lasted. So, you know, this, this piece of, of jewellery is there to endure, it's there to be passed on from generation to generation. But also it's a mark of affection. It's something that's given to somebody by family. Uh, and it's normally to say, welcome, you, you belong to something, you belong to a family. And the reason why I'm saying this is I just kind of want to set the scene or build a picture in our minds of when we read this passage, we want to be asking the question of ourselves, how are we known? Do we mark, do we carry the marks of something that uh, lasts the test of time? Do we carry the marks of something that's given in affection? Do we carry the marks of authenticity? And so we're going to be uh, reading 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3 to 13. And uh, it's going to come up on the screen. Oh, yep, it's okay. It always looks bigger on my laptop, and I always worry that it's not going to be big enough. But I think, can you see at the back? Great, perfect. Uh, if anyone wants a Bible, you want to pop your hand up? Anyone need a Bible? No. That's okay. If you do need a Bible and you were too scared to say that you wanted a Bible, then there's some at the front. Uh, and if you don't have one at home, please take that home. It's our gift to you. But we are going to read uh, verse 3 to 13. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. 
in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. Let's pray. Father, we want to have hearts that are wide open to you. Lord, we don't want to go through the motions of just going through each part of the service and knowing exactly what's going to come next and right okay we're here to the point where we open the bible and okay what's going to happen father we want to be pressing in to you we want to be open to your words we want to be open to what it is that you have to say to us what you want to challenge us on what you want to encourage us on build us up in and father we recognize that no matter how often we read the scriptures you always draw out new things you always bring transformation because this is life breathed. And so, Father, we ask, would you breathe your life into us afresh this morning? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, are we known as people with authenticity? Verse 3, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. I don't know if you guys um, have ever enjoyed watching Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. It's a little bit close to the bone at times. Uh, but uh, Chris loves uh, lots of food programs, and he loves this particularly because he loves kind of uh, like supporting the underdog and seeing transformation. And so often we're sat there, you know, at night, and he's like on the phone watching, you know, highlights of Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. For those of you who've never watched it before, basically Gordon Ramsay, well-renowned chef goes into places, often in America, and uh, goes into the restaurant. They're normally failing in some way, shape, or form, and he turns them around in his own unique fashion and um, uh, hopefully gets them on a path to profitability and uh, in, in good stead in the community. But when you go into these places, or when he goes in, you don't go in, but when he goes into these places, often you're meted, meted? <laughs> greeted with the owner who's like, my falafel is the best falafel in the entire of the United States. Uh, obviously, they don't speak like that. Um, but they, they, they are like bravado, like up here. They're like, this is the best thing. And often you go in and actually, the restaurant looks all right. Like, it looks fine. Um, decor's not too bad. Menu looks pretty good. Um, but it's always the people who are like, yes, this is the best place. And the staff are like, you should really try the lamb because it is just the best. And Gordon's like, okay, I will try the lamb because it is the best in California. Uh, and then 
often it's not. And uh, he goes into the back and he, he always looks at the kitchen, he looks at the grills, the ovens, and it's like something out of your nightmare, literally, because it's always like covered in grease, and it's just gross. And you go into the refrigerator and the stuff that's been in there for months rather than like for days, which it should be. And it's just absolutely disgusting. He's like, how can you put on this front where you're like, this is the best place to eat when you look at your refrigerator and this is the state it's in? And his job in that moment is to transform it so that not only the front of house, but the back of house match up. There's authenticity in what they are doing. And that is the point for us this morning, is that we have to have a front of house that matches our internal like, being, our back of house, so to speak. We need to be authentic to what people see, but also to what is within us. And Paul is making it clear that he has no intention of allowing anything to get in the way of their mission. No word or deed may get in the way of any person being drawn closer to Jesus. And it's clear that integrity and authenticity is a value for Paul because it's echoed all the way through 2 Corinthians. And he starts off in chapter 1 by saying this, Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. So that's how he's setting up this letter and that's what's continued throughout his um, intentions to the Corinthian church. And the reality is that what we value determines our actions. It oozes out of us. Paul values authenticity and it shows throughout his letters. And it's not just something that Paul values, but it's right throughout the Bible. Authenticity and integrity are held highly and are seen as marks of God's people. If we look to the Old Testament, if we look to the book of Daniel, we see that King Darius um, appointed him to be one of the highest superiors to help rule the kingdoms. And this frustrated a lot of other people, and so they set out to discredit him, basically. But it says this in Daniel 6. At this, the chief ministers and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, and some say um, had integrity, and neither corrupt nor negligent. See, it was only by trapping them in further chapters down the line that they were able to get the king to send him to the lion's den. And that saddened the king because the king had um, favored Daniel. He'd, he'd, become, he'd kind of loved Daniel um, because of his authenticity and his integrity. That had won the king over. And if you skip forward into, the, into Proverbs, it says this in uh, chapter 10, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Right throughout scripture, it's weaved in authenticity and integrity are a hallmark of God's people. They speak highly to those around us. They win us favor. They win them over. And let's be honest, if you were to ask people who don't go to church, who um, uh, have maybe interacted with Christians before, what one of the things is that they don't like about Christians is, often it'll be, I don't like Christians because they're fake or because they're hypocritical, or uh, they don't seem real. And that's not the truth. Sometimes it is, sadly. But that can be a stumbling block to people meeting Jesus, because they assume in some situations that we're not authentic and we're not real. And when we are 
Um, and when we're not those things, when we're not authentic, we do put stumbling blocks in front of those um, people who want to get to know Jesus, who are on that journey towards him. But I think the key here is vulnerability. See, N.T. Wright, or Tom Wright, when he's being casual, he is um, a scholar, theologian, well, like world-renowned. And uh, he has a great way of just making the Bible so easy to digest. So if you're ever actually like just interested in going deeper in the Bible, get your hands on some of Tom Wright's books. They're really, really helpful. Um, but he talks about this passage as one of Paul's most, more vulnerable accounts. He's not sharing his struggles lightly or flippantly. But he's doing so in an act of vulnerability to ultimately lead people to a depth of relationship and intimacy with a group of people that he loves so, so dearly. Because when you isolate that first opening statement in verse 3, you could easily feel weighed down by the intensity of that language. We put no stumbling block in front of anyone. That feels like quite a lot of pressure. That feels like, oh my goodness, like I can never do anything wrong, otherwise I'm going to put a stumbling block in front of someone getting to know Jesus. But the context of vulnerability shifts that statement because authenticity doesn't equals perfection. Authenticity equals vulnerability. When we show ourselves to those around us in a way that is real and raw, that shows integrity, it shows that we are willing to be vulnerable in order to build on or deepen a relationship. And nothing speaks louder than that willingness to be open and authentic. We put it in live terms here. When we're in our workplace, for example, and maybe you make a mistake, God forbid, make a mistake. But rather than hiding it and kind of brushing it under the carpet, you just put your hands up and say, do you know what? I made a mistake. I'm really sorry. I'm going to fix it. Because that speaks volumes. In that moment, you're being authentic and you're being vulnerable, but that speaks volumes. Or maybe it's... um, you're with a friend and you know that you maybe not done or said something right and you potentially hurt them rather than just kind of skirting around the issue and just hoping that over time it just passes. Just being like, do you know what? I'm really sorry I've hurt you. And I'm just going to ask for your forgiveness and can we move on from this? Because that's showing vulnerability but authenticity and integrity in relationship. And when you're listening to someone and they're sharing their life with you and they open up and you're like, I could just sit here like a brick wall, but actually in this moment I'm going to be vulnerable. That offers another opportunity for us to deepen our relationships with others. That we have this moment where we can walk in authenticity and integrity. Because we are preaching in the wider context in this series of weak but strong. And I think that is true with authenticity and integrity. That when we are vulnerable to those around us, it often may seem weak. But actually, it is a strength and it points to who God is in that moment. That we are willing to be wrong, that we are willing to be open, that we are the first to forgive, the first to rejoice, the first to encourage, the first to open the depth, the door to the depth of relationship with those around us, despite what culture around us tells us. And I think that speaks volumes to people. And I don't know about you, but I want to be known as somebody who is authentic and has integrity. And I love that Paul, um, he is vulnerable with those he's trying to draw into relationship with him. And I think that is a good marker for us in terms of how we want to be known as God's people. So are we known by our authenticity?
capacity. Next, are we, do we have the ability to endure? Verse 4, commend ourselves in every way in great endurance. Um, I've often talked about swimming here before, but has, um, who here has kind of been to like a swimming gala or a, like as a swimmer or maybe as a parent? We've got a few, we've got a few. Um, if you haven't been to a swimming meet, uh, let's just say it's not exactly scintillating. Uh, unless you are the swimmer or you have a best interest, vested interest in said swimmer. Um, and especially when it comes to uh, mid kind of distance competitions, it's really boring. Um, just, just a little heads up. And uh, basically you just see people, often amateurs, uh, going A to B, A to B, A to B. And you're like, paint drying is a lot more interesting this sometimes because then I think it makes you see the color change. But anyways. Um, but I used to be a mid-distance swimmer, and so uh, my parents, bless them, had to come to all of my meets, and uh, they would watch me in these 800-meter uh, swims, and so that's 32 lengths of a 25-meter pool. And uh, in that moment, I mean, it was competitive swimming, so you did have to have a, a level of game plan in this. And when you think about that, you think 32 lengths, right, it's just a case of going from A to B as fast as possible in those 32 lengths. Wrong. It's all... Uh, won or lost in your mind on the starting blocks because in that moment you have to have a game plan because every person on that starting block is different in terms of their ability to endure that race. So you've got people who are sprinters as well as mid-distance and so they can you know, sprint the last eight lengths and make sure that they kind of are in pole position to win. You've got people who, no chance, they would not do very well in that, and so the last two lengths are what counts for them. You all have a game plan in order to make sure that you finish that race with the best possible chance of winning. And also, you can't do it on your own, because if you, let's be honest, are trying to count 32 lengths in the middle of a race, whilst also like checking your heart rate, checking your stroke length, all of that sort of thing, you're like, I've lost count at 16 lengths. That's even if you get to 16 lengths. So you've got somebody along the side who's like telling you how many lengths to go and then you've got somebody blowing whistles in your ear like, come on, you've only got two lengths to go and you're like, right, okay, but speed up. That's the reality of the race. And I think that's still true for us as Christians is that often the race is won and lost in here and we can't do it on our own. We have got God ultimately who is cheering us on, who is guiding us, who is keeping us to our race plan. But we've also got a moment as well, a choice to make in here as to whether we lose or win the race of endurance. Commend ourselves in every way in great endurance. Endurance is all about perspective. And as I said, we can't do it on our own. And Paul um, goes to town here. He doesn't hold back on what... Um, what has kind of been in his path, what he has had to endure in order to see the gospel fulfilled. He lists two lots of nine things, so 18 things in total that he has had to endure. And that is not the fullness of his endurance race up until this point. There's lots of things that he's missed out. And he's endured a lot on all fronts, physical, mental, and spiritual He's been beaten, he's tired, he's dishonored, he's um, hungry, he's filled with grief. The list goes on. And I think what it shows is that in our lives, every aspect of our life is open to endurance. Every aspect of our life is open to being tested. 
that Paul just doesn't list a whole bunch of things that are going wrong. He doesn't list a whole bunch of things that, you know, woe is me. But he lists two lots of nine, 18 things in total, things that God has given him to endure the race. He brings hope into the mix. He brings God's provision and his perspective to aid the endurance race till the end. Understanding, kindness, patience, weapons of righteousness, joy, the Holy Spirit. And it highlights that regardless of the struggles that we face in this life, God has a solution to each one. He can bring something to the race that aids us in our endurance. And Paul could have easily, as I said, you know, he could have hyped up this aspect of what he has had to endure. He could have just been like, do you know what, guys? This is what I've had to deal with. But actually, no, he balances it with the provision of who God is and what God has given him in order to do that. And I think that's kind of a masterclass in how to endure because it's a choice of perspective, seeing what is wrong or seeing what has been provided. And I think that that's how we can endure what we have to in this life. Our choice is to find God and to find his help. We can't do it on our own, that's for sure. But we do have a part to play in that too. We are not spectators, but we are participators in God's transformation in our lives through the good times and the tough times. And Tom Wright talks again in his uh, passage on this. He talks about in this moment, it shows kind of a maturity of the Christian life when it comes to endurance. It's not about just saying, everything's fine, everything's fine. Everything's going brilliantly. Meanwhile, like underneath the water, legs are like, <laughs> like there's this side. And then on the other side, there's, woe is me. Everything is terrible all the time. And that is our narrative over here. And it's not about being this and it's not about being that, but it's trying to find in some way, shape or form the middle ground where we declare, yes, it's really good, but yes, it's really hard. But we have the two together in this kind of balance. That we acknowledge the battle but we don't dwell in the trenches. We look to the higher ground that God has prepared us with the weapon that he has given us to fight. Say that again, that we acknowledge the battle, but we don't dwell in the trenches and that we look to the higher ground that God has prepared before us with the weapons that he has given us to fight. Paul isn't saying this without love either. And it's really important to know that. He is wrapping this all up in love and his desire to see the Corinthian church built up and strengthened. He's not saying, life's hard sometimes. It sucks. Get on with it. He's not saying that. And I, I would hate for you to take that away from this morning because I know for lots of people in this room, life has been incredibly hard or is incredibly hard. And that's not what he's saying. He's wrapping it in love and he's saying it's a choice of perspective. God is here to help. He has exactly what you need in this situation. And so it's acknowledging, yeah, things are tough. Things are rubbish. But I have God here and he is my help. He is my provision and he is my endurance for the race. Because sadly, maybe it's not so sadly actually, but people look at the details of our lives 
people who don't know Jesus, people who we're open with our faith about, they look at the details of our lives. And more often than not, they look when things are going wrong. When things are going well in our lives, it's so easy to say that, isn't it? It's so easy to celebrate and to, you know, shout from the rooftops. But when things are going wrong in our lives, when things are hard to endure, that's often when people are looking, what are they going to do? And we have an opportunity as God's people to be marked by our ability to endure, not on our own, but with his help, with his provision, but also with our choice to choose his perspective. So in our weakness... Do we point to God or to ourselves? When we are in the thick of it, who do we go to and how are we known? And then finally, are we known by our affections? Verse 11 to 13, and this is the Passion Translation. Um, I often look at all the different translations when I'm preparing this. And again, another tip for self-study. But just go on Bible Gateway and you've got all the different translations and you can print them off and you can read them to your heart's content if you're a learner. Like some people just love to get into the nitty gritty of it. And uh, Passion Translation is quite good at just giving a different way of um, also a bit of a wordsmith as well. So I love words. But if you like words too and you really want to get into the nitty gritty of scripture, then just print off a different translation and uh, compare it but this is the passion translation it says this my friends at Corinth our hearts are wide open to you and we speak freely holding nothing back from you if there is a block in our relationship it is not with us for we carry you in our hearts with great love yet you still withhold your affections from us so I speak to you as our children make room in your hearts for us as we have done for you I don't know if you've ever um, watched a ship being launched. Has anyone watched a ship being launched? No. Yes, a few, a few. I thought I was just being super boring by watching ships being launched on YouTube. <laughs> um, it, <laughs> the depths of Libby Branch. Um, but yeah, so um, if you watch a ship being launched, uh, it's actually quite amazing. Like ultimately you see, and it's like the huge cruise ship. So I don't know how many floors high, but it's like feat of engineering. Anyways, they're often built in these uh, huge hangars that are either closed or open, uh, depending on what's been going on. And um, you see kind of all these people like busying about like on the ships and they're like, you know, really excited to see the ship kind of being fit for purpose and it's about to be commissioned and it's about to go into the open sea. And uh, often there's lots of people like surrounding the area and they're just kind of waiting for this boat to emerge out into the open waters and uh, as it does they've got often got these huge blocks um around the i don't actually know what the bottom of the ship's called the keel there we go yes thanks neil um so you've got these huge blocks stopping the ship from moving uh but then they have to release said blocks in order for the ship to go off into the sunset Uh, into the sea and it is amazing you see um this ship going from what has been built and what's been finished and you know it's often this big unveiling of the design and all that sort of thing into the open waters and you're like yes it is fit for purpose it is doing what is made to do but the only way that it can do that is if you move the blocks from stopping it getting out into the sea and that is true for us as christians if we want to be moving in the fullness of what god has given us in terms of our relational openness and authenticity and integrity we need to remove any blocks that are getting in the way of that happening we can't step into our full potential relationally if we have blocks in the way 
And Paul is inviting the Christian church into a freedom of relationship with him for them to open up their affections to him. And his love is clear. He's speaking to them as if a parent to a child. And that's not in a, that's not in a condescending way, but that's in a way of, I love you. I want the best for you. I would pour out my entire life for you. And he's imploring them to open up their hearts to him. And throughout this series, we've seen um, kind of an overview of Paul's letter, lots of themes in terms of reconciliation and forgiveness. And it's right throughout the heart of his message to the Corinthians. And it's in that context that we read this particular part of the passage. He doesn't want them to live with blockages relationally whether that's through unforgiveness or offense or apathy, whatever, he is urging them to remove them so that they can live in the wide, expansive fullness that comes when they open up their hearts to him. In Proverbs 18, it says this, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city and a quarreling is like the bars of a castle. Can you picture that imagery? Offense is unyielding like a strong city. When we are offended, when we take offense, when we quarrel or when we argue with one another, it's a really strong image that is being conjured up there. It's like the bars are up. Nothing is getting in. In Ephesians 4, it says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. See that it's really important that we are living eagerly maintaining unity amongst us we are called to a higher resilience when it comes to offense to offer grace forgiveness and understanding and I remember somebody once saying to me have it in your mind how do you hold people when it comes to your affections do you uh, kind of hold people to the same standard as you hold yourself and I remember sitting with that and I was like but then actually when you ponder that, it's so easy to let ourselves off the hook, isn't it, sometimes? Like, oh, I did that. Oh, but I didn't mean it like that, so it's fine. But when somebody else does it to us, we're like, how dare they? That is ridiculous. What are they thinking? Offense. Barriers are built up. So do we hold ourselves to the same standard that we hold others to? And we do live in a world where offense is so easily taken now, where forgiveness is not handed out generously. And where it's easy to quickly close down in terms of our relationship rather than open up and offer forgiveness. But we are called to be culture carriers. We are called to have a, a value system based on forgiveness and grace. Where there are no blocks stopping us from being open relationally. And it's not easy. But a moment of confrontation can often lead to a depth of relationship. I know this for myself like I I really don't like confrontation I really don't like conflict I'm a lot better at it now and um, because I took the negativity out of those words but I remember with a friend like we'd both kind of hurt each other 
and we were just like really struggling with it and it was really awkward when we were around each other and it was just like oh something just needs to be talked about but neither of us are bringing it up until one day we did bring it up we chatted about it we cried we hugged we prayed and do you know what as a result of that really uncomfortable conversation our relationship is so much deeper now and we're probably at a point where it's like family rather than just friendship and a moment of discomfort can often lead to like moments of depth of relationship. And we have to be people that aren't afraid to go there, that aren't afraid to take down the walls of offense, take down the walls of unforgiveness and offer ourselves with affection and relational openness. Because as I said, you know, we are being watched. People do watch us when we are relational with people, whether that's in the workplace, whether that's at the school gate, in uni, in school, wherever that is. People see our relationships and how we go about them. And so we have a choice about how to make ourselves known. Is it easy? No. Will it be scar-free? No. But do we have the best help possible? Yes. And do we have hope? Yes. And I don't know about you, but it actually really excites me about the idea of being culture changers about people who carry these values of authenticity, of endurance, of affection, that we would be known as people who are warm, who are open, who are relationally available, because that ultimately points to Jesus. And I think when we point to Jesus, that's the best thing that we could do. So I don't know about you, but I know how I want to be known. So let us be asking the questions of ourselves this morning. How do we want to be known? Why don't we stand?